You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. hear a lot about cancel culture these days. There are definitely times when people or systems need to be called out and held accountable. But we can all be a little too quick to be cruel to each other, online and offline. This problem isn't new though. Humans have always struggled to choose love instead of hate. As followers of Jesus, God is challenging us to love people who aren't like us. Love people who are in need. Love the people we envy, and love the people we want to hate. It's time the church learned to love the way God loves. So this is my friend Courtney, and we've had the pleasure of working together with teenagers here at Castles Christian Church for quite some time now. And what happens on youth group trips pretty often is uh, one of the teenagers will decide to pull a prank on someone else. Usually it's another teenager, one of their friends, or one of the adults. Occasionally one of the adults will pull a prank on a teenager. That may or may not happen on our trips. It probably does. And usually it's fine. The person has the prank, we all laugh, but then they, they want to know who pulled the prank on them because they want to get them back. They want to get revenge on them. And usually it's fine. You know, one person pulls the prank, the other person pulls the prank back, and it stops there. But sometimes these situations will escalate. And what ends up happening is the adults have to intervene. They have to step in because the desire for retribution, the desire for revenge, for getting someone back when you feel like you've been wronged can be really strong. Last week, we looked at the story of Saul and David. And Saul was the king of Israel, but David had been chosen by God to be his replacement, to be the next king. And last week, when Ronnie looked at their story, we saw that Saul liked David at first, but eventually he became envious of him because he was popular, he was liked, he was being successful, he was the up-and-coming, new, hot thing, and Saul knew that he was on his way out. So Saul, because of his envy, he actually tries to kill David. And not just once, but repeatedly tries to kill him. Saul even rallied his army of soldiers to help him hunt down and kill David. See, envy has a way of escalating. And it oftentimes leads to hatred and to even violence. And at this point in the story, David had a valid reason to hate Saul because Saul was actually trying to kill him. And it would be totally reasonable for us to think that David would want revenge on Saul, that if he saw him, he would lash out and attack him. Here's what happened instead while David was on the run from Saul, though. We read about their story in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and this is what it says starting in verse 2. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. 
So David goes up to Saul when he's in this vulnerable position where he's in a cave using the bathroom. He probably thinks he's all alone, and he cuts off the corner of his robe. And we may look at that and think, that's not that big of a deal. But eventually David feels remorseful about even doing this. He lets Saul leave in peace, but he cut off the corner of his robe. Now, I don't know that I would have felt bad about this, but there were some significance to this corner of the robe, to this part of the robe, the hem of the robe. It may have been a prayer tassel that Saul would have used in his prayers and interactions with God. It may have been the part that he would have used sort of as his signet ring, as his signature as the king, where he'd press it into wax, and it would be sort of like his official seal. But whatever it is that's going on here, David eventually feels remorse. But what's really important or really interesting here is that David has an opportunity, and his men with him are encouraging him, hey, go, go take things into your own hands. Kill this person. God has given him over to you. But when David had the opportunity to take revenge and let hate guide him, he chose to let Saul go instead. So when I was a young adult, I had a really close friend. We were inseparable. We did everything together. We hung out. Um, and one day I found out that she's spreading lies about me. She's telling horrible untruths. And it just really hurt and devastated me. And I had this inner burning desire to go hurt her physically. <laughs> And I remember the day that I stormed out of the building looking for her to hurt her. And I don't think I have ever wanted to physically hurt anyone before like that. But um, I actually was blessed enough to have some friends that stopped me and told me they knew what was going on and said that what I was about to do was not a good thing. First of all, I probably would not hurt her like I thought I could. <laughs> And secondly, hurting her would just hurt me in the end too and nothing would get resolved. Um, so at that point, I had friends intervening for me. But as we see in the next verses, it's David's heart that intervened for him. After, and afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him seeing he is the Lord, Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So we see here that David had a change of heart because he was obedient to God. Um, he chose to love Saul. And they didn't suddenly reconcile, become best of friends and go hang out together. But they did decide to stop attacking each other and stop retaliating and seeking revenge and something to point out about these two men is they weren't just ordinary men hanging out on the couch watching netflix or youtube or streaming whatever it is people stream these days <laughs> but they were actually in charge of armies so to retaliate against each other was to harm thousands of people yeah so what do we learn from these stories of these two powerful men who had these opportunities where things escalated, got out of control, but one of them chooses not to retaliate. What does it look like in real life to not take revenge on someone that you want to hate? And I think that it's at this moment we see that Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount really make a lot of sense to everyday life. They're very practical instructions for what it looks like to not lash out at those who you want to hate, to not take revenge on those who've harmed you. In Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 38, this is what Jesus says about loving your enemies. He said, 
You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and do not turn away from those who want to borrow. See, Jesus' instructions here about turning the other cheek, I think they're often misunderstood. See, Jesus did not mean that you never stand up for yourself or others. Jesus had no problem verbally defending himself. Jesus often got angry at people who were cruel or hurtful and harmed others. But Jesus never sought revenge or was cruel to people or escalated a conflict because his ego was wounded. See, when someone attacks you, hurts you, or lashes out at you, you've got to fight the urge to take revenge. Instead, don't be overcome by anger. Don't plot your revenge. Don't escalate the situation. Don't react without thinking, because when we do this, it prevents us from being able to respond wisely in that situation. And we often make the mistake of thinking that Jesus was just a kind, gentle, peace-loving man, which he was all of those things, but he was also a revolutionary. See, Jesus upset both the religious and political leaders of his day to the point that they all wanted him dead. Jesus' enemies would often try to provoke him or to trap him or to get him uh, into trouble with the crowds, and so they wanted an excuse to arrest him, and Jesus knew better than to play into their hand and to walk into their traps. So what is the significance of turning the other cheek, of offering your cloak, of going two miles? Well, if someone strikes you with, uh, on the left cheek, they're, they're slapping you in an insulting way, but Jesus says, no, you stand up that person and you make them really attack you. If someone wants to sue you for your shirt, then you give them all of your clothing so that they're the one who's embarrassed by your lack of clothing and your lack of resources. And in this culture, a, a soldier could demand that you carry their gear for a mile, but if you carried it for two miles, they were the ones who would get in trouble. See, it, what Jesus is saying here is to stand up against the abuse in a way that calls attention to the abuse of power without seeking revenge. Turning the other cheek forces the aggressor to stop and consider what they've just done, to understand the wrongness of their choices and their actions. It makes them calm down and feel ashamed about what they've done, and sometimes it even causes them to walk away. And what we see is that this is the power of love over hate, the power of self-control instead of revenge. When we react in anger or seek revenge, we escalate a conflict and it might even give the aggressor, the person who struck you first, to think that they were justified in throwing the first punch. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he wasn't telling you just to get over it. Instead, Jesus is telling you to be strategic about how you choose love instead of hatred, because love actually changes things. In the following verses, starting with 43, he says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So in this, we're, we're talking about loving your enemy. <laughs> so what is an enemy? An enemy is actually someone, anyone who is hostile or uh, hateful toward you, someone with extreme negative attitude toward you, um, this could be an in-law that refuses to speak to you, the co-worker trying to get you fired, 
the classmate telling lies about you, or your boss that's trying to set you up to fail so you'll quit. Um, and to hate these people would be the easy thing to do. Um, the word hate is also a verb and it means to be spiteful or act hostile towards these people. So um, when you're actually hating your enemy, you're not turning the other cheek. It's giving an eye for an eye, which is exactly what Jesus said not to do. <laughs> so he says to love the other person. So what does this mean to love the other person? First of all, the word love means is the agape love. It's self-denial. It's not a passive love. It's an active love. You have to do something to do this love. Um, you pray for them. You forgive them. You seek benefit of those who you are trying to love. You do good by them. You bless them. Um, speak good of them, even when they're not around. Um, and sometimes this is only capable with the help of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, this command is this command to love is not with affection, but an act of will. So you have to actually tell yourself to do this in order to love this person. And the significance of praying for your enemies, that's, um, you're not praying to change them. You're praying to bless them. You want God to be good to them. And that is the point of praying for them. And you will see if you actually get this done is that most of the time it does not change them but you yourself are changed in my story um when i went after this so-called friend to hurt her um word got around and it escalated to the point where i had a mentor step in and he sat me down and he said courtney it's time for you to pray for her and i said i don't want to pray for her and he said but you need to pray for her this is this is not a good situation. Two people hating each other is not good. So I did. I didn't want to, and I knew I had to because I had to go to my mentor every day to tell him whether I prayed for her or not. And I did. And eventually, and it was not overnight, but eventually I learned to pray good things for her, to actually pray that she had a good day or that she passed a test or, you know, now she's happily married and I pray that she and her family are doing well. And so these, I found that by praying for her, I changed. Um, she eventually got mature and changed, but it was not because of anything I did. Um, so how does loving and praying for enemies make us like our father? Well, in the Bible, in that scripture, it says, in that way you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. This act of praying for people we don't like, it's imitating our Father, and it is setting us apart. It's something that the ungodly do not do, because it even says, even the pagans like their friends, but who prays for their enemies? So, um, and we have the ultimate example of this in Jesus Christ, when he was dying on the cross. Um, he prayed for those persecuting him. He forgave those who were killing him. He, he is our ultimate example of loving our enemies. And we take this time um, every Sunday to remember that with communion, with the bread and the juice, to remember the blood that was shed on the cross. But today, remember not just the sacrifice he made, but his heart, how he actually loved the enemies and his last prayer to the father was father forgive them for they know not what they do 
And that's our prayers for our enemies. 